Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. My dad had a way of explaining things to me that drove me absolutely crazy as a kid. And I'm quite happy to say that I've passed that tradition on to my kids. Um, To give you an example, my dad was coach of our football team, soccer. And I was the goalkeeper. And, you know, at halftime, we'd come off and, you know, we're sitting there eating our oranges. My dad would come up to me and just an example, he'd say, you know, the great thing about good goalkeepers is that not only do they have their eyes on the game, but they also know what's going on behind them. And I'm like, yeah, so whatever. Yeah, salute my orange. He goes, do you understand what I'm trying to say? You know, because the great goalkeepers, they know what's happening in front of them. But, you know, what do you think that's important? Why do you think that's really important to know what's going on? Dad, what are you trying to say? Get to the point. No, no, no. Answer my question. I'm asking you, Dad, tell me what, you know, and you get frustrated. He wouldn't get to the point. Do you want, is it my positioning that's an issue? What, what? Just tell me up front. And I know that with my kids, um, I have driven them crazy and I've sat there smugly, quite content and knowing that now they know how I felt when I was a kid, you know. Um, but anyone get frustrated in that? You know, there's a point that's going to be made and they're not getting to it. And it's just, Hebrews is very much like this. The writer of Hebrews uh, is a master of uh, making a point but dragging it out, just kind of transitioning from one thing to another and you're trying to figure out, well, what's he really trying to say? Who remembers our first week of Hebrews? What, what were we talking about? See if you remember. It's only two weeks ago. Oh, right thinking. Remember? Right thinking. It starts off with basic theology. Jesus is Lord. He's got Okay, great. We know that. Thank you. Woohoo. And then the next week, what did we learn last week? Encouragement. But what else? Obedience. Oh, why, why don't we like that word, by the way? Why is it just a natural tendency when we hear obey? Just... Ugh. No, I need to rebel. It's just a cultural thing. We don't like obedience. But yeah, the, the, the third chapter, he's talking about encouragement, but he's also talking about that if you believe in God, then you would naturally obey God. So belief and obedience are actually very much intertwined. So today, we're going to talk about rest. And believe me, how do you get from basic theology to obedience to rest? What, what, what's going on here? Right? So open up your Bibles to chapter 4 of Hebrews. And we're going to start straight off from verse 1. And I'm going to go halfway through this verse because there's a really important aspect here. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, there's... Uh, who's an English teacher here? Jan, no? English teachers? When you see a therefore, you've got to ask, why is it there for, right? In fact, he uses therefore five times in this chapter alone. So he's basically telling us, hey, now that you've heard all this stuff the last couple of weeks, now let's get to the nitty gritty. He talks about rest. What does he mean about this rest? Well, it's interesting because there's an urgency in verse 1 that basically says it's a rest that hearers must fear missing. 
Okay, for those of you who may not understand, that's okay. None of us here are understanding what's going on. If you're reading this letter for the first time, he comes to this rest and he says, hey guys, look at this. Therefore, since there's a promise of entering his rest, God's, and it still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. What is he talking about? He was talking about Jesus being number one and then he was talking about obedience. Now he's flipped it completely. He's talking about rest. And not only that, but there's a sense of urgency about this. It's not so much that they've fallen short, even though I believe today we have, but at the time he wrote this, he didn't believe they had fallen short, but he said, be aware, be mindful. In fact, the Greek is a little bit more urgent. Be fearful. Be fearful that none of you should be found to have fallen short of God's rest. But it gets even more complicated because not only is it about the personal hearers need to fear missing it, he talks about the community of God are in danger of rejecting it. And as we read on, he says this, for those who have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, who are they? The Israelites, okay? Because in chapter 3, he talks about the wilderness and how they didn't obey. And he's going back to them. He's saying, hey, they had it just like us. And that just makes us a little bit more confusing, doesn't it? But he goes on, he says, uh, where am I? Uh, For we have uh, had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share what? What didn't they share? The faith of those, and there's that lovely word again, obeyed. Uh, Now we who have believed enter that rest Just as God said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So there's a fear about the community, everybody. Okay, summing it up really quick. We've read three verses of chapter four. He's he's attacking us. He's saying, hey guys, be aware. You can't miss this rest. You need to enter it. Not like the Israelites, as a community of people, we've got to be aware because we can reject it together. Not just personally, but also together. And now we come to the crunch where I'm going to park the bus because, you know, you don't get three points in five minutes, do you? It is a rest that reevaluates our spiritual condition. It's a rest that reevaluates our spiritual condition. And it's interesting because up until now, he's talking about Jesus is Lord and we all accept that, right? Does anybody here not accept that? Oh, you wouldn't put your hand up anyway. I don't want to put you on the spot, but the majority of us here would recognize Jesus is Lord. Amen. And we need to obey him. Oh, yeah, we can recognize that too. Now he's hitting us. And he's talking about God's rest. God's rest. And he he evaluates, he brings it out even further here. He says this, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. The seventh day being what? The Sabbath, right? On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. I've got a little knot there on works, but I'll explain it to you in a moment. And then again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, 
God again set a certain day, calling it today. This is typical philosophical talk, by the way. Any of you who have done philosophy, he does this whole roundabout talking, but he's trying to prove a point. He's trying to make a point. This he did when a long time ago, a long time later, he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Joshua was the one who led the Israelites into the promised land. In that first battle of Jericho, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest, rests also from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now, first off, let's get this works right. The Greek word actually means doing. They must stop from their doings. Some Bibles translate it as labor, others translate it as works. But if you go to Exodus 20, there are two words there, labors and works. <laughs> so it's difficult to translate one word into both. But the word they're trying to say here is doings. Obad, which is the Hebrew word for works, means the same thing. Stop from your doings. Okay? So what is he trying to say here? He's trying to say something that's very important that I think we as a church today have completely messed up. And particularly us as a power Baptist church. And this is going to be the tough challenge that I'm going to lay at you. But I'm going to give you something I normally don't do in a sermon. I'm going to give you an answer. So hold tight. Question number one. Is this, what did God do on the seventh day? The seventh day of creation in Genesis. What did he do? He rested. What happened on the eighth day? There's silence. He, he rested more? So the eighth day is the work that we do. Okay. Fair enough. That, that's a good point. Uh, what was said was that uh, the eighth day was the day that we work the earth, that we do our toils, we, we look after what we've been given. But the question I want to ask you, was there an eighth day in creation? The Hebrew word for day is yome. Okay? It equals age. It doesn't actually mean day. Um, the Jews had words or have words that could actually be translated as sentences. It's something that we in English, eh, really, we, we miss a lot. Those of you who studied foreign languages, you know a word can sometimes mean a lot. Okay? Uh, the yome, is, it means an age. It means a time span. It could mean uh, uh, anything from an hour to a millennia to a metaphorical age. But what defines it in, in, in the creation account are these words. And evening passed and morning came, marking what? And then also the second day, right? 
Are you with me? At the end of each verse, we hear these words. So the Yome is being defined, right? As a day. Not just saying this is a day, this is Yome. Actually, this is evening that's passed and morning that's come. But guess what? It stops there. There is no morning past, or evening past, morning came for the seventh day. Have you noticed that? It just is a yome. It's a yome. What does that mean? Why is everything defined up until the seventh day? Now, people would say, oh, because, oh, well, you didn't want to write it in. Or, well, hang on, he's been pretty particular up until that point. But then he stops. And he doesn't define the seventh day, the day God rested, which we call today the Sabbath, the Sabbath day of rest. Those with a literal view of creation, I'm not going to get into this argument, will say, look, evening passed, morning came, why is he defining the day? But then you're stuck because when you come to the seventh day, there's no definition for Yomai. So it may be okay to argue six days, literally, of creation, but those who don't will argue that the seventh day never finished. And so you're caught in a bit of a... That's why there's always these arguments between creationists and the old earth theories and all that kind of stuff. But I've got a different view on that. I don't believe the seventh day has ever stopped. I believe the seventh day is still happening. And it's interesting, when we look at Hebrews, and we come to it, in verse four of, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, so God set another time for entering his rest, and when is that time? Right now. What? Hang on a second, you're talking about Sabbath rest for people, and when he's talking Sabbath rest, he's talking to a Jewish audience who understand what the Sabbath is, and what is the Sabbath? The seventh day of rest. But he's redefined it. He said, hey guys, it's today. That doesn't make sense, dude. What are you talking about? But he goes on. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a Sabbath rest still waiting for the people of God today. Now, we're not talking about the Israelites in the wilderness. Okay, they're all dead. They've died in the wilderness. This is a new crop of Israelites who are coming into the promised land. They have observed the Sabbath faithfully. It's ingrained in them. But apparently they didn't enter God's rest. So what's happened here? What's going on? What does, or what's he, what's he trying to talk about? Going back to verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you have fallen short of it. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, this is a tough verse, okay? It's tough because it speaks directly to us. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And there's that obedience thing again that comes out, right? 
Only if he obeys the Father will he be able to go. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. We performed miracles in your name. We performed um, prophecies and healings. And we drove out demons. Hey, that's great stuff. Anyone see somebody drive a demon out? A couple of people have. Anyone see miracles happen? How, how cool is that? Healings. But you know what? Apparently, this is more important than healings, miracles, driving out demons. This is more important than prophesying. This is more important than all of that. Stop for a moment. What do they mean by entering God's rest? What does the Sabbath actually mean to you all? Just think about that for a moment. What does it mean to you? Because we in this church have a document in the back rooms that states that we can't have meetings, church, business meetings on a Sunday because that's the Sabbath. And frankly, I go back to verse 1 and say, wow, I think we've fallen short. Horribly short. Horribly, horribly short. First of all, let me ask you, since when did the Sabbath get changed to a Sunday? Can you show me what verse that says in the Bible that we've changed it to Sunday? For those of you who believe in the literal creation, you know, six days God created, on the seventh day he rested. Since when did God skip the seventh and move to the eighth day to rest? Since when did that become part of our DNA? That's the first thing I've got to challenge us on. Because we're culturally driven. Because that's what society says. And the way it's been dictated, we follow it. So now we all quit Sundays. Okay. That's the first challenge. The second challenge is this. What does it truly mean? Does it just mean to stop working? Does it just mean to stop activity? Does it stop mean, oh, well, we can't do business? Because that sounds very, very, very similar to the Pharisees. Because, you know, in chapter 12 of Matthew, Jesus is being challenged where he's disciples are doing what does anyone remember in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12 they're picking the grain on the sabbath and the pharisees are right they're breaking the sabbath because there's a law that says you cannot pluck the grain from the land you can still eat the grain just don't pluck it yeah i know and even jesus says the same thing really 
Yeah, you're following the law to a T, but my goodness, have you missed it completely? And he doesn't do it once. He does it three times with them. And he challenges them. He does it to their face. So the law says, I can't work on a Sunday. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to heal this guy. Healing is working. He's working. And he does it to their faces. Oh, they can come back tomorrow and be healed, can't they? Today's the Sabbath. Missing the point again. Missing the point. What do we mean by Sabbath? What is it? What is it for you? Is it just quitting work? Is it Sunday lunch with the family? Is it putting your feet up and watching the rugby or the cricket? Mowing the lawn. Oh, no, you can't mow the lawns because that's work. And what about the rest of us that actually work on a Sunday? Liz and Jane that are in the kitchen there preparing morning tea faithfully for... I don't even have to think about it. They're back there working. Or our worship leaders are up here singing and playing and having to practice. Or the pastor that has to prepare and work. What about them? They can have their Sabbath on another day, but today's a Sabbath. Really? Doesn't that start to sound very pharisaical in in a sense? I mean, we're sounding like the Pharisees. We're sounding like the Pharisees. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example, the example of the Israelites. That's pretty harsh words. So if we're not spending time figuring out what does he mean, what does God mean by Sabbath? It's a rest that we must be fearful of missing. We shouldn't miss it. We are in danger of a community, as a community as a whole, of rejecting it. We are in danger. We are responsible together as a community to show that example. It's a rest that reevaluates our spiritual condition, which I'll just touch on in a little bit. But ultimately, this is what the Sabbath is. It's a rest that is centered on our relationship with God. If you want me to encapsulate it in just one short sentence, it is a rest that is centered on our relationship with God. And it's interesting because from this point on in chapter 4, he starts hitting us up on how to do this. Hebrews verse 12, For the word of God is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So what do you do on the Sabbath? What's that rest mean? How do I evaluate myself? Yes. How do I evaluate myself? We had a trauma counseling seminar here, and they had, it was incredible the way they've done this. They have a systematic approach on how to deal with trauma, which I found marvelous. Why? Because they've studied it, they've encountered it, and they know that this is the approach. And God's saying, you want to be evaluating your spirit? You better get into my word. Because you know what? My word says this, and it does this. Verse 13, it goes even deeper. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. When you're in the shower, where's God? 
Some of you are like, I'm embarrassed now. Thank you, Rob. But if you believe in an omnipresent God, he's there anywhere, everywhere. And then there's this great, the last chapter of verse of, of, four, of Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. I'm not sure if I've done a good job communicating the intensity of this chapter, but it gets even stronger next week when he starts talking about your spiritual condition. You as a person, we as a community. The Sabbath has to be integral. Now, what is it, Rob? Is it a day? Is it Sunday? Is it Saturday? What? Come on, help me out here because I don't know what you're saying. It is a day and it isn't. How's that for a response? It is a day because God acknowledges that in our week, we do a lot. Who has a laid-back, lazy week here? Does anybody have one? Because I'll do whatever you're doing. No, very rarely does anybody have a really laid-back week. Even on vacation, you know, the stress of packing and getting everything and getting over there, and then when the kids get hurt and something, you know, you just want to lay back and let me... Our weeks are full. Our weeks are overwhelming. God knows that. And he wants you to take time out. That's what the Sabbath is. It's not time out to rest in our way. It's time out for us to reevaluate ourselves in God. To reconnect with God. Because you know what? It's like date night. Those of you who are married. What does date night mean? I'm reconnecting with my wife because you know what? Kids and the whole thing, we just don't connect. And so we take time out to spend one-on-one time. And just like my spiritual walk, my marriage life can deteriorate simply because I'm not spending that one-on-one time, which I'm guilty of doing. In our spiritual walk, we take the Sabbath for granted. We don't work. We go home and tinker with our hobbies and we do our things and we forget that really the Sabbath is actually for you to reconnect with God to enter his rest, to enter his being, to reconnect spiritually with who the Father in heaven actually is. And that is what the Sabbath is about. Let let me ask you, if we're doing a church business meeting, who is that for, for us or for God's work? Because if it's for us, I'm leaving. Let me just say that. If our business meetings ever turn into something about us, then I'm gone. I'll resign on the spot. Our business meetings about God's work in this place when we all come together and we talk the nuts and bolts about it. And that is getting us back as a church to who God is. I've made my point. That's an integral part of the Sabbath for us as a community. Because we, in those moments, are trying as a community all together to reconnect with God to reevaluate where we're at, to be challenged about where we're going and where we've come from. That is what the Sabbath is all about. I, I've written, I've written a, a statement trying to encapsulate what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is not just a day as we know it. We are still living in that seventh day 
But then it is a physical day also in that we need to stop from our doings and reevaluate our spiritual condition weekly. Weekly. Seek the Lord, reconnect with him and return to having him as the center of our lives. That is the Sabbath. That's the Sabbath rest. Uh, the Hebrew word for rest is, is so rich. So rich with meaning. And for, unfortunately, we've just kind of nailed it down to putting our feet up. But that's not what rest means. It's been finding a place of solace for your soul. To re-enter that appearance. And you know why we do church on Sundays? Even though we do call Sunday the Sabbath? Because this is part of you reconnecting with God. For me as well. For the worship leaders as well. For, for even Liz and Jane out there. This is the moment of the week where we come together. We are challenged by God's word. That double-edged sword that strikes in us. That challenges us. That makes us think. And put our minds onto him, not onto the earthly things. Where we worship him through vocal and singing, even though some of us don't like singing, and some of you shouldn't be singing from what I've heard. I'm kidding, come on. You guys have heard me sing, come on. You know, this is the moment. Now, what you should be doing from today is going home and reflecting on this moment. And maybe opening the word and getting deeper into it. You know, for once, leave the house alone. For once, just sit back and reconnect with God. What have you been challenged with this morning? What have you heard from, from God's word this morning? Where is that taking you? And this is your Sabbath, even though I don't really approve of it being on a Sunday, because I don't think that's a mandate God has given us. But where we're at, we're at, and we'll work with it. God will work with it. But let me just say, this is the day that you've decided to put aside for God. Then make it the day. Make it the day. That's why we sing. That's why we do our offerings. That's why we hear God's word. It challenges us. It binds us. It brings us back to him. And we go back to that verse 1. Of, I didn't even put it in there, but verse 1. What does it say? Therefore, since the promise of ending his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short. And every Sunday we remind ourselves of that. Be careful, don't fall short. If you miss Sundays, if they're not important to you, let me tell you, your spiritual walk is faltering. Rest is not in taking time off. Last year I went to Australia for about three weeks. I took some holiday. You guys, I keep saying like an American, I say vacation time, but it's holiday time. Yeah. Took some holiday time off and I didn't rest at all because I didn't spend time with God. I spent time working over there as well. And I came back thinking, hang on a second. I didn't reconnect with my God. And I'm turning my work into work, into my doings, instead of actually preaching and reflecting while I'm preaching. And since then, it's actually kind of gotten better for me. But the challenge for you is, what are you doing for your Sabbath? Are you using this time to grow in the Lord? Are you using this time to be challenged? Don't think about going away, even though that might be helpful. 
And, and even though God will still speak to you in the quietness of his nature or anywhere else, but you've got to be purposeful to do this weekly. Because even though the seventh day hasn't ended, it's still there. It's still going. God wants you to enter his rest and he wants you to make it weekly. Remember the power of number seven? Remember my fascinations with numbers? What did number seven mean? Perfection. You want a perfect week? Don't live them by six by six, which is what we do. Live it with six plus one, which is seven. Bring God into your lives and reconnect with him spiritually, individually, and as a community of people. And stop separating this earthly work and stuff, which is not of God, but is of our own heads, and bring it back to the spiritual realm where we should be. This is what it's about. We need to reconnect with God weekly, and that's why we're here on Sundays. And why I want to challenge you, it should be number one as a priority for you. Whether it's in this community or in another community, you need to be doing this. Because frankly, I don't trust myself to go away for a week and reconnect with God. So I don't know how you guys can trust yourselves. I can get caught up in so much things that if I don't do this, I'll miss it. Does that make sense? You guys with me on that? According to the clock up there, it's 7.30. So I've got a lot of time. Actually, does anyone have any questions they want to ask? Is there anything that's floating in your mind right now? Just about what's been shared this morning? It doesn't even have to be a question. It could be a comment. Yes. Absolutely, I agree with you on that. You can't force yourself on other people, but you're not called to force yourself on other people. You're called to be obedient. No, no, no. The challenge that we have today is actually a lot easier because today you don't just have church on Sunday anymore. You have services on Saturdays. You have places that have services during the week and you can turn those times into your Sabbath, that one day for you. Um, we live in an era right now which is really interesting. We have all the resources we need and yet there are a lot of people who are telling me they're not being fed. And, and uh, we have churches that can provide support for a Sunday or a Saturday or, or a Wednesday. Or, but if it were me, and, and this is, I'm not putting this on you, Sheldon, or anybody else here, if I'm going to say this is the Lord's Sabbath and this is where I've been called then I won't let anything get in that way. And if that means I'm going to be losing that job, that's what I would do, which I've done. I lost a lucrative job at Sydney Airport over that because I just couldn't, I kept missing out my fellowship. But that's me. I wouldn't expect that on anyone. But then that comes down to obedience. It's like Antonius. What does Antonius do? You heard the story of Antonius from day one? How is he challenged to be who he is in the environment that doesn't allow him to be who he is? How do we deal with that? That's why we as a community need to be working together on it. It's a hard word, and I don't mean to be hard on it. Um, but like I said, there are many places that have services on other times, and then you can turn those into your Sabbaths. Um,
Anyone struggle with that, working on Sundays? Oh, as a doctor as well, that would be horrid. Yeah. Yes, there's got to be a level of obedience in which we are disciplining ourselves to spend time with God. And I think that has to also be in a fellowship context. God always, you know, when he talks about the Israelites, he's talking them as a people. He doesn't single anyone out individually, even though at times he does. But I think his point is he sees us as a people of God, not as a person of God. And so there's got to be that level of, okay, I can't maybe do it on this day or on the Sunday or for some churches on a Saturday, but I can fellowship through home group and I can turn that and discipline myself to make that the time in which I kind of recharge. It's like getting a, a wolf every week, you know, a warrant of fitness from the Lord to spend that time. But I can also be purposeful at work, like you're saying, with, my, with the frame of mind. I, I, I would find that difficult personally just because... I, I tend to be pretty focused on my work. Um, and even as a pastor, I, I find myself doing work and not connecting with God, which people don't understand. But sometimes you, you do work and you're not spending time with God, even though I've got the Bible and everything in front of me. Yeah. It's, it's a both end. The seventh day hasn't ended. So the Sabbath, actually, if we want to be biblical about it, has extended. It still is today. As the writer of Hebrews says, it's a rest that you can have today. But there's also, you go to Exodus 20, where God says, you know, you need to put aside a day for me, you know. So I think it's, it's both end. Uh, I think we still got to dedicate our days every day to the Lord because every day technically is that seventh day, it's the rest. But there's also the command from God to say, hey, I, I, I want your time. I want your attention. And, and I don't want it just in little snack bites. I, I want a full meal with you. Um, and I want you to be fellowshipping in, in a community of people because you are my people. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the, just to sum up what's being said, that's the problem we face as a church today in that I think a lot of us have not found rest, rest in the Lord. I don't think we have, and especially in a time of need for rest, with everything that's gone on in the last four, we have not found it. We have found it in rules, in obedience to the wrong rules, um, not in the rules that were God, has, who he is. We're kind of like the Pharisees. We've done, done, this is what we do, but we don't really know why we're doing it. And the rest is not found in Jesus, uh, through him or in him. It's found, this is what we've got to do. And it's interesting when you read Hebrews, especially chapter 4, and you compare it, say, to Matthew, where Matthew's saying, hey, you know, you've performed miracles, you've done this, you've done this, you've done that, but you know what? You've forgotten one thing. You're not paying any rest. You're not spending time in me. You're not putting your heart into me. And, and, and like Jesus, you can pluck the, the seed or the grain and say, hey, you've broken the rules. We can't do this. And Jesus is saying, you've missed the point completely about what it means to be in me. Um, and that's, that's the challenge that we've got this morning. Uh, I'm tongue-twisting myself, but faith isn't just, is not the opposite to works. They're one and the same. You know, people, Martin Luther didn't want to have anything to do with the book of James because he says that's just salvation through works. And he wanted to kick that book out of the Bible. Um, but the, the reality is faith and works are intertwined. If you truly believe, this is what's going to happen. 
Okay, and then people tell you, oh, you can't judge me like that. Well, actually, you haven't read the Bible because I can. If you're my brother in the Lord or my sister in the Lord, I've got to call you out because, hey, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, if I see you sinning or you're not doing, the faith is not being reproduced, I'm here to help you. I'm here to walk alongside you. I'm here to, but that's the calling out. So the, the faith and the works work together. Um, they're one and the same. We can't separate them. Now, you can read Romans and come out and say, hey, all I need is faith. Or you can read James and you come out and think, hey, all I need to do is works. But then James doesn't work without Romans and Romans doesn't work without James. And just like faith doesn't work without works and works don't work without faith. You've got to have one and the same. So we can't keep going along these lines of separating them. Um, and it's a bad thing. It's Martin Luther started that tradition of separating the two. Let's bring them back together. If I believe in God, then I obey. Okay, simple as that. And obedience means works. Um, And part of those works are, if you believe that I am your God, then you will spend time with me. And I will do that out of the love of my heart because I love him. No different to loving my wife and hearing her and saying, if you love me, you'd spend time with me. Absolutely. I wouldn't think twice about that. I'd do the same with God. It's just difficult to bring it into reality. And I ask the worship team to come up. I think at the end of the day, the challenge is this. How do we evaluate the Sabbath in our own lives? Not just, well, as individuals, as, as us, we as, pe- as a person, but also we as a people. How do we evaluate the Sabbath? How do we do it? And we as a community understand that it may not happen on a Sunday because work, but there are other opportunities for you to connect and dedicate your time to the Lord. But you've got to do that. That's a discipline that you've got to make. We as a church have to provide that for you. It's part of our love for you. It's part of our mandate as a church to provide opportunities for you to continually grow in Christ. Because the next chapter, if you really want to hear some controversial stuff, go to chapter 5. Be prepared for what I'll be teaching for you next week. But he's saying this, you don't need to be taught anymore. You've had enough teachings. You should be teaching. You shouldn't be hearing this from me. You should know already. You should be teaching. You've drunk too much milk. It's time to start eating some steak. You know, the, you know what's best. For those vegetarians out there, just, ugh, really? That's what's going to happen next week. And this week you're going to be challenged by that. I want you to be challenged by that. How do I put time aside for the Lord? Don't just listen to Rob because I haven't got all the answers. And frankly, I might mess it up just as much. But you need to be communicating with your God. You need to be reading the word and find a space for you to connect with him and make it purposeful. Purposeful. Let's stand and worship the Lord.